Truth is, I am Iron Man. I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. What is going on? What are you doing? To infinity and beyond! This is the way. The flux capacitor! Was Star Wars the one with the little wizard boy? Chewie, we're home. Avengers! Assemble. Ah, oh, chills. Literal chills. Hello there, fellow fans, to United We Fan, the podcast. Uniting with me is my co-host, the fantastic Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, everyone. We hope you all enjoyed last week's episode where we talked the Seussian world of Dr. Seuss. I actually went to Islands of Adventure the day after the episode premiered, and I spent some extra time having fun in Seuss Landing after talking about it so much. On this week's episode, we are going to be discussing, from a galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars prequels. In Mark and Brian's world news, we both checked out the flick Artemis Fowl on Disney+. Plus. Based mainly on the first book from the popular series, the film is directed by one of my favorite directors, Kenneth Branagh, who did the first Thor film, 2015's Cinderella, and the most recent Murder on the Orient Express. Overall, I was sadly disappointed as a movie and book fan. Brian, I know you checked it out. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I. it took me a long time to figure out who Kevin Brana was. I forgot he was Gilderoy Lockhart. That's where I knew <gasps> him from. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I, just, I again, I love the first Thor movie. Uh, Murder, Murder on the Orient Express, I like it too. But this movie, I was never confident in it, especially after it got moved from August of last year to May of this year. And then with everything going on, got moved straight to Disney+. Plus. I was not confident in, in its performance and it just did not land with me at all the character development just wasn't there it seemed to really i haven't read the book Um, my son is is reading it right now he really likes the book he's excited to watch the movie but he's not going to watch it till he's done with it but yeah it seems like if you didn't read the book you were (laughs) very very confused the movie went too fast and it just it would throw character names out there like i'm supposed to know who they were it left me in the dust in the first 20 minutes, and I just, I never caught up. It just was not a movie that I landed with me. Yeah, I, I will admit, when I first saw the preview, I had never heard of the book, and the preview didn't really wow me, and I was actually worried, going, oh man, is this going to be another troubled Disney live-action film? And then when it switched to premiering on Disney+, Plus with the current situation, I said, Disney might be lucking out because it didn't look like a hit. It looked like another misfire. And then after seeing it, I realized that was a smart move on their pl- part to go to Disney+. Plus. I did read the book a couple of weeks ago. It is a very fast, fun read. And you do see a lot more detail. I think the movie only being 90 minutes left out a lot. I think it could have filled easily a two-hour time running time. Josh Gad, speaking of Gilderoy Lockhart of Harry Potter, Josh Gad reminded me of a young Hagrid. I just kept thinking it the whole time. And then Dame Judi Dench, who is almost always perfect. Her character in the book is a man. And, you know, I don't mind them switching it over, but their interpretation, I didn't really like it too much. And then I feel like they told her, do your best Batman voice impression. So overall, disappointing from the cast, the company, and the director. I was I was sad. Yeah, Josh Gad seemed like he was trying to do his own Batman impression too. He said, "Hey, don't <laughs> sound too much like Olaf. We want you to sound sound different." And it was, "You're a wizard, Artemis." Well, 
check it out if you have the time. It's on the Disney Plus streaming service. It's there. It's <laughs> all over the front page of it. In local Mark and Brian polls, Brian recently did a Mount Rushmore of favorite film franchises. Franchises with at least three films and with one story connection. Brian, I, I can understand your top four picks. Why don't you let everybody know what they are? Yeah, my top four, you won't be surprised to hear if you've listened to anything previously or know me personally, but Star Wars and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, top two running away with it. Uh, another one of mine is Lord of the Rings. Um, I hang that heavily upon the first three <laughs> films, Lord of the Rings films, not the Hobbit films so much. Right. Um, but still, even when you take all six films into one story, those top three are just so perfect that that it, it still makes the top four. And then for me, my last one, I thought about Indiana Jones. I thought about Back to the Future. Um, but I landed on Toy Story. I like the story. I love the Toy Story films. Um, I didn't like the fourth one as much as I wish I did, but it's just because I'm a big Buzz Lightyear fan and he wasn't a big focus, I think. But I love Toy Story, so that took number four for me. I will admit I was surprised when I saw Toy Story on there, but not a bad choice at all. Um, Lord of the Rings didn't make my top cut, the Middle Earth saga, because of the Hobbit series. I do enjoy the first Hobbit, but... Yeah, mine ended up being Indiana Jones. I love all four movies, all four. MCU was my number two. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Then The Wizarding World. I enjoy the Harry Potter films as well as the Fantastic Beast films. When it came to my fourth one, I actually struggled a little bit thinking, oh, Star Trek. I've been loving Star Trek more and more. Star Wars is a lot of fun. Um Pirates of the Caribbean even popped in my mind at one point. Mission Impossible, I actually really dig those films, but mm -hmm. I ended up going with James Bond for my fourth, and I, I was surprised how little love James Bond was getting in the comments. I didn't think about him for all... I'm ashamed of how long it took me to think about him, too. It was before you put him up, but but I, I'm with you. I just think it's all the different actors. Not everybody necessarily thinks of him right off the bat, but he is absolutely one of the best film franchises out there. Yeah, I mean, was it 50 years strong? So he's yep. he's doing something right. And then real, over in, real quick, uh, who's your yeah. favorite James Bond? <sighs> Pierce Brosnan. I okay. Pierce Sean Brosnan. Connery for me. Yeah, and that's not a bad answer at all. Pierce Brosnan's my favorite Bond. Skyfall is my favorite Bond movie, and actually favorite Bond song as well. So we yeah. might get back to that at some point on I would this love, podcast. I would love to do a Bond episode. Well, I did a Facebook poll as well where I asked everybody who is their favorite Disney Pixar villain. There were some surprises. I was surprised that the bowler hat guy from Meet the Robinsons made it so far. I was sad that Syndrome couldn't find any love from The Incredibles. And I was also surprised that Yzma from Emperor's New Groove made it so far. The top five ended up being Hades, who is my favorite. Scar coming in number two, and in a close number three was Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog, I was happy to see him get some love. And then rounding out the top five was Jafar from Aladdin. Brian, you got a favorite in there? I think if a lot of people look at that poll, uh, they'll, they'll chalk it up to uh, going back to Schmidt, youths of voting on your particular <laughs> poll because Maleficent got, Maleficent got removed so early. She's she still did. probably the premier 
Disney villain. She she probably belonged up there. I'm one of the people that made Yzma go farther. And I don't even <laughs> think it's because I love her. I just love that movie. Uh, but I, my my favorite is Syndrome. I, I wish he had made it. I like him. I I couldn't believe Syndrome lost to Bowler Hat Guy, but that was a big surprise. And I even... I, I politely asked, were people voting for Yzma because of Emperor's New Groove? And I was met with several passionate responses from fans who kind of agreed that it was because of the movie like you're doing. But hey, everyone had fun. And Hades gave it two thumbs way, way up. So I was if happy. Kronk he count, if Kronk was a villain, I, Kronk would easily take the cake for me. But he doesn't count as a villain. So I, I think a Disney Pixar sidekick poll will be yeah. sometime down the road. But it's a little high maintenance stressful doing a Disney poll. So I'll need a breather before I do my next Disney poll. (laughs) So now if you felt a slight disturbance in the force, it could be because this week we're going to talk the star Wars prequels. And you're probably thinking about Jar Jar Binks or the midi Glorians. I know the prequels get a lot of mixed emotions from the very passionate star Wars fan base, but overall I'll admit I have a very positive overview of the prequels. So, Brian, are you one with the Force? This is where the fun begins. So when we were talking about doing this this particular show, I was trying to think of a way we could talk about it. And the thing that kept coming back to me is the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to talk about these three films in the Star Wars version of the light, the dark, and the scruffy-looking Nerf Herder. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the light side, the dark side. And then the scruffy-looking Nerf Herder is just that thing that just doesn't quite sit right with us because as lovable as the prequels are, especially as time has gone on, there's still a few things in there that may bug some people and may even bug us um, as big Star Wars fans. Don't think I didn't notice that Star Wars didn't crack your uh, favorite franchises, though, Mark. It it was thought about for that fourth spot, okay? But I will admit, Star Trek kind of edged it out. But anyways. (laughs) Fair enough. Well... Um, so we're going to talk about uh, just all those different things. So, but first and foremost, we're going to talk about the light side. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to give you guys a general idea of how we view Star Wars in general and where the prequels fall into that. A um, couple weeks ago, actually on May the 4th, I did a, a poll on my Facebook page of just ranking all nine Star Wars Skywalker Saga films and how you and what your favorite are. So my personal uh, list of nine um, goes episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, episode four, uh, which is the original Star Wars. The Force Awakens, number seven, is third. Number four for me is actually episode three. We'll talk about that, Revenge of the Sith. And then rounding out the rest of the nine, for me it goes six, eight, one, nine, two. Uh, Mark, how do you rate the, the nine total films from the skywalker saga i forgot how close we are the only major difference is where we have episode eight my rankings go empire strike back number one number two would be star wars a new hope number three would be episode three revenge of the sith and then it goes episode seven so force awakens i still enjoy that followed by return of the jedi then The Phantom Menace, then Rise of the Skywalker, then Attack of the Clones is actually my second to last. And then the last one would 
be episode eight. I will admit after marathoning and rewatching them leading up to the rise of Skywalker, I don't hate episode eight or dislike it. It's just not my favorite. So episode eight's at the bottom for me. The last Jedi doesn't belong at the bottom of the list. I have my issues with the rise of Skywalker, but this episode is not about the sequel trilogy. We're (laughs) going to get there. I can't wait to get there, but I, I can't wait to duke it out over the, uh, the last Jedi duke it out. Maybe the wrong word, but I can't wait to discuss the last Jedi. So, um, but I, it sounds like you and I are going to have, since I put that at the bottom and you have it in the middle, it sounds like last Jedi will be a fun little conversation for us. Yeah, it's not like it's at the top of my list, but still. Um, I'm a big sequel trilogy fan, uh, but we'll talk about those at another time. But going back to the prequels, um, Mark, this is the... Star Wars talks about how they often have different eras of Star Wars for generations to come. My parents, it was the original trilogy. Uh, My dad graduated high school um, the year the first movie came out. Star Wars was made for that generation and even younger than him. Um, When I was a kid is when the prequels came out i have loved star wars episode one the phantom menace since it came out and that is the most controversial thing i will probably say on this podcast (laughs) but i i love the prequels i still do um when we talk about the light side of the force it's pretty interesting how you see the the jedi council and it's not how anybody imagined the jedi council being um but you have yoda Um, You have Yaddle, who may now be really getting herself back into the story when it comes to the Mandalorian. We really don't know. Um, But you have Mace Windu uh, and just all that entire Jedi Council. And it's pretty interesting to see the the whole Jedi and how they work the entire galaxy. Um, But the best of all the Jedi, my favorite Jedi of all time. And the favorite one from this particular one is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mark, I'd assume you have a you have an opinion on Obi-Wan Kenobi as well, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi is actually my favorite Star Wars character, I think in large part to Ewan McGregor. I loved his take on the younger Obi-Wan. I was happy we got to see Obi-Wan in action and his lightsaber battles because that stiff battle he had in A New Hope, I felt like just didn't do him justice. So, Brian, you're right. Obi-Wan Kenobi is high on my list. I have a feeling we'll see a little bit more old man Obi-Wan Kenobi that's a little more limber when we get Kenobi on, on Disney+. Plus. Uh, but yeah. the just the way his story plays out all the way from episode one, he just looks so young. And the reverence he has for his master um, in Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, and if you've seen Obi-Wan or Ewan McGregor recently on the Graham Norton show, it's made its way around... Um, Facebook quite a bit. He's still got it when it comes to twirling that lightsaber and all that kind of stuff. So that makes me excited for the Kenobi series. But just everything Ewan McGregor did, the fact that they just put a beard on him in a movie that came (laughs) out three years later just made him look 10 years older like the story was supposed to. Um, But he, he he just has it all. He has the cadence. He's got the command. You can, you're just convinced that he is the Jedi who you're supposed to believe that he is. And, and I love him. But we talk about his reverence for his master, Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a lot more appreciation for Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon Jinn um, than I originally had. And we'll talk more about the Duel of the Fates a little bit later. Um, but just what Qui-Gon Jinn meant to not only Obi-Wan Kenobi, but the reason, um, according to Lucasfilm and Dave Filoni specifically, why he stayed out of the Jedi Council is just... 
it's amazing. And again, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. I'm a huge Liam Neeson fan. So when I saw he was going to be that, I thought he was perfectly cast. And I thought it was also great to show not your by the book Jedi that he, you know, there was a little rebellion in him. So I liked that aspect. Samuel L. Jackson's character of Mace Windu, he shows just what the Jedi have become. They're very arrogant and they're very not trusting of, of really anybody, even including their own people. He doesn't let Anakin do a lot and then it kind of backfires on him. Take a seat, young Skywalker. Um, he loses his hand because of it. Uh, but his purple lightsaber is my favorite lightsaber of all lightsabers out there. And that was kind of his deal breaker when, when George Lucas asked him to be in the film. He asked if he could have a purple lightsaber, and he said he could, so he signed on. But just Mace Windu and what he stands for, he's a good guy. He really is, but he's so blinded by the Jedi are always right that he's not willing to see it from another angle. And Yoda even kind of points that out to him as well at one point. And I, I loved that little look he gives Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson kind of eye rolls it. Also, fun fact, the purple lightsaber is also my favorite lightsaber as well. And yeah. when we talk about the light side of the force, you can't get past Jedi Master Yoda. I love Yoda in these particular ones. You can watch, go if you watch them on Disney+, Plus. Yoda does look a lot better than he does on other releases of of the Star Wars prequels from a CGI perspective. He just looks more like Yoda. Um, but Frank Oz is just the best as Yoda. You Even if you hear Fozzie Bear, I still hear <laughs> Yoda saying, do or do not, there is no try. Um, waka waka. Yeah, there you go. But I the, the scene when he comes in to his cane finding an unconscious Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker fighting Count Dooku, and you know it's about to go down from this little two-foot-two little green friend, as the Emperor calls him in, in Revenge of the Sith. My little green friend. Just watching Yoda be the Jedi, you always dreamed he was when you saw the original trilogy. It's just really cool to watch. Yoda is... I, I'm a big fan of Yoda as well. I seeing Muppet Yoda and Empire Strikes Back. I, I I love watching the behind the scenes of how they did that. I'm glad they made him a Muppet. Sorry, Puppet, Muppet. You know, it's that same company. Did for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And The Last when, Jedi. Don't forget The Last Jedi. I know. Well, <laughs> he they used puppet yoda in episode one and then when they went back they made him digital so that it would be continuity for episodes two and three so i will admit hippie looking yoda in episode one still makes me laugh if you ever see that version of yoda seeing yoda fight against count dooku in episode two and then the epic epic battle between him and emperor palpatine in episode three just Pure Yoda gold. Yeah, we uh, Yoda's really again also found his way to the forefront of of Star Wars with the emergence of whatever the little baby, the child from the Mandalorian <laughs> is, if he's related to Yoda in any manner. Um, but Yoda's found his his way out there, and then Star Wars, from a book's perspective, and more than likely the next set of movies, is going back into the old Republic days called the High Republic, 
And it's widely speculated that we're going to see an even, even younger, more active Yoda during that as well. So Yoda's, Yoda's not gone away uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Moving on to the dark side. Mark, who's your favorite dark side character from the prequels altogether? All I have to go with uh, favorite dark side character, um, Temeray Morrison. God, I'm, I hope I didn't butcher his first Tamora. name. Tamora. Tamora. Thank you. Brilliant actor. He played Aquaman's dad in the recent Aquaman movie. But of course, in the Star Wars prequels, he plays Jango Fett. I just, I really dig his cowboy take on it. I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, he plays Jango Fett. He also plays 200,000 clones with a million more well, well <laughs> on the way. So, Very uh, true. And Tamara Morrison, um, aging just perfectly to enter the Mandalorian as a possibly old Boba Fett, possibly old Captain Rex, possibly both. Um, we're going to get him <laughs> in the Mandalorian as well. Uh, Jango Fett is not, a, is not a bad choice. I really enjoy. I wish we'd have just gotten a little more of him. Um, yes. I remember thinking Boba Fett was kind of just forced in there a little bit. Then if you watch the Clone Wars, um, again, another plug to Disney Plus, Boba Fett <laughs> has his own character arcs as well that really makes him fit into the Clone Wars. And I mean, they they set it up well why he hates the Jedi. I mean, Jango's head literally comes completely off. Um, and there's mm. parts of there's parts of the Clone Wars where Boba Fett is trying to get revenge specifically on Mace Windu for doing that. But that's another podcast for another time. Um, yep. My personal favorite uh, dark side character. And again, partially because they brought him back um, in the clone wars um, is hands down dark Maul. Ooh. I love the, the story of dark Maul that they give him in the clone wars, but just how menacing he is in the phantom menace. Um, no pun intended <laughs> of just how, how evil he's made to look evil. And there's uh, that duel of the fates that he has with Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Qui-Gon Jinn uh, t- at the end of, of episode one when he lights up his two-sided lightsaber. But if you would indulge me for just a minute, Mark, I've got uh, some notes that I took um, from Dave Filoni from the Disney Gallery, um, The Mandalorian, again on Disney+, Plus, um, <laughs> talking about what the, what the duel of the fates meant. And like I said, if you'll indulge me for just a minute, I kind of want to read what Dave Filoni said about that fight. Um, He said, what's at stake is how Anakin is going to turn out. Qui-Gon is fighting because he knows that he's the father that Anakin needs because he hadn't given up on the fact that the Jedi are supposed to actually care and love, and that's not a bad thing. So when you talk about Qui-Gon being kind of a rebellious figure, that's what he's talking about. Uh, The rest of the Jedi have, have become so detached and so political that they have lost their way even though Yoda starts to see that in episode two, but Qui-Gon is ahead of them, ahead of them all. And that's why he's not part of the council. So he's fighting for Anakin and that's why it's the duel of the fates. It's, it's the fate of this child. And depending on how this fight goes, Anakin's life will dramatically be different. Qui-Gon loses, of course. And he knew that it, that it meant that he was to take, he knew what it meant to take this kid away from his mother and that he had an attachment and he's left with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan eventually does train Anakin out of a promise he made to Qui-Gon, not because he cares about Anakin. He's a brother to him, but he's not his father figure. And that's a failing to Anakin. He loses his mother in the next film, and Star Wars is ultimately about family. It's the fight that the entire prequels and the entire Skywalker saga hangs on. And that is the fight with Darth Maul and just how powerful of a, of a person he is to the entire play out of these prequels. If it weren't for Darth Maul, everything plays out differently from a storyline perspective. You can say these are fictional. You could change the story any way you want to. Um, but the duel of the fates, 
Darth Maul is central to that. And I just have much more of an appreciation for Darth Maul in the movies, completely removing even who he is from the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything else like that. I remember seeing Darth Maul first time in the preview and then in the film when he just fires up both sides of that lightsaber. I think everybody in the theater just went wild. And then when, you know, for the longest time, we thought he was killed off. I remember going, you just killed off like a great Star Wars character, a great like movie villain. And And he showed his legs flooding away on the other side of his body. (laughs) I mean, of course, now we, thanks to um, novels and even Solo and uh, animated series, you know, we get to see Darth Maul turned out okay. But at the time, I was was kind of irked that they did him dirty like that. But his lightsaber, the double lightsaber, was a great... Um, addition to the Star Wars galaxy. I, I, there's just so much about him. And then after hearing that, you know, you go, Darth Maul did have a huge impact because who knows if Qui-Gon would have won that, how Anakin would have turned out. But then again, we don't know if Qui-Gon maybe would have joined up with Count Dooku like Dooku said he would have in episode two. So, so many possibilities could have come from that. So, Thanks, Darth Maul. Yeah, it would have been it would have been pretty interesting to play out. But then Darth Maul gets removed from the story, and this just shows how how selfish the main antagonist of this entire prequel trilogy of Emperor Palpatine. He just he just does away with Darth Vader or Darth Maul. Darth Maul's just gone. He's just lost his Padawan, and he looks Anakin in the eye and says he's going to watch his career with great interest. He's oh. so so selfish. He just doesn't have any attachment to anybody else. And it just, I love Emperor Palpatine one through three, just the strings that he pulls. It's just very fun to watch play out. I think everybody kind of giggled when he said he's going to watch how his career develops when he says that to little Anakin. Shout out to Ray Park, who plays Darth Maul. He is one of the nicest celebrities I have ever had the privilege of meeting a couple of times. He is there for the fans. So if you ever get a chance, great guy. Played Darth Maul. Also played Toad in the first X-Men movie. So if you ever get a chance, nice, great guy. Yeah, I met I met uh, Ray Park at Celebration Chicago last year, and he, he was awesome. So, um, And then you mentioned Count Dooku earlier. <laughs> um, he gets his head removed in the uh, nicest way possible that Anakin could do. But that's where... The Emperor really gets a hold of, of Anakin Skywalker when that's the end of Count Dooku. Do it. Um, we can't forget our uh, favorite coughing droid monster, General Grievous. <laughs> that scene yep. with the four lightsabers, um, the hello there, uh, General Kenobi scene. I, I love watching General Grievous fight with a lightsaber. He pulls them all out. You go, oh, my God. <laughs> and then he starts twirling it and you go, oh, boy. But yes, when Obi-Wan, just how much confidence does the guy have to jump down there surrounded by the droids and say, hello there. Just they all turn to look at him. No fear whatsoever. Obi-Wan's got this. So. And then he ends up killing him with a blaster and all he can say is so uncivilized. It's just perfect. <laughs> it's just perfect. You and McGregor. And of course, Count Dooku played brilliantly by Christopher Lee, 
um, whom we just lost fairly recently. So rest in peace to Christopher Lee. I love Christopher Lee as Count Dooku. I think he brought an old school approach to it. Oh, sorry, Sir Christopher Lee. And his lightsaber is in the running as well with that curved hilt that he's got on there. I, I think that's one of the things I loved about the prequels was these fans who grew up with Star Wars wanted to bring something new and creative and doing it with the lightsabers. I loved it. And yes, his, I will admit whenever I've held the prop replicas of Count Dooku's lightsaber, it is slightly awkward to hold. And I, I couldn't really imagine, but I mean, if it works for him, cool, but looks dark cool, man. It doesn't have to be functional. Come on. That's true. I mean, I feel like we didn't do Emperor Palpatine enough justice, just Ian McDermott and just being the Senate. I am the Senate. His plan just plays out so perfectly. And I don't know if he orchestrated following in love with Padme or if that just played right into his hand. I, um, but yeah. just Ian McDermott being the Emperor in Return of the Jedi Episode 6 and then aging just the right amount to be a younger Palpatine to be played out. Star Wars has gotten really lucky in how these characters and these actors have aged to play right back into the story. Look at you and McGregor with the Kenobi series. It's played out perfectly from that standpoint and being able to have Ian McDermott as the emperor in return of the Jedi, then 16 years later in episode one. And then these many years later being in the rise of Skywalker, he was, he is Star Wars. He is the Emperor is a central focus of all of these films. And without that portrayal from Ian McDermott, it just wouldn't have worked near as well. I love how easily he was able to switch from Senator and Chancellor Palpatine to when you, you see the Emperor hologram image and he's just able to become a different character for it. I thought that was perfect from him. I going back to Christopher Lee, I was a little sad that he died. Spoiler alert! So quickly in episode three, I, I, I was like, couldn't we have gotten a little bit more? But at the same time, going back and watching the movie, you don't really see much more that Dooku could have done for the story. So I get it, but I was a little sad. Um, when so we talk Bulba, about the release of the Snyder Cut, sorry to interrupt you there, Mark. When we talk about the release of the Snyder Cut, there's a four-hour version of Revenge of the Sith that he's in far more regularly. But they had to clear the way to kind of build Anakin up to be become Darth Vader. But I would kill to see that four-hour version of Revenge of the Sith with that much more Count Dooku in it. Yeah, and I mean, luckily they didn't do him as dirty as they did in Return of the King from Lord of the Rings. So, which I definitely <laughs> love those extended editions. But I was going to say Sebulba, the pod racer from episode one. He's a fun character as that little like um, scum pod racer. So I dig him and his interactions with little Anakin Skywalker. So and when you uh, if you dive into the, the deleted scenes from the Phantom Menace as well, you get a pop up of a young Greedo. Um, before Han Solo kills him in episode four as well, where Anakin beats up Greedo in the streets and kind of gets broken up by Qui-Gon Jinn. There's a lot of dark side influence throughout those those movies. But Sebulba, he was uh, that just that rumble of his pod racer is very, very scary every time I hear it. And I mean, of course, we see younger um, Jabba the Hutt at the pod racing as well and his mom. 
we get to meet Jabba's mom. And a skinnier Bib Fortuna, too. <laughs> so moving on sure. to the uh, the scruffy-looking nerf herder of the prequels, Mark, the, the ugly of the prequels. And it's going to be the first one we talk about. Mark, what's your opinion of Jar Jar Binks? I don't hate him. I remember when I saw episode one when it first came out, I didn't find him irritating. I interpreted him as he was meant to be interpreted. I will admit, I can understand completely why people dislike him, find him annoying. I think they maybe could have... And in no way it's the actor's fault. I hate those stories of hearing how depressed he got with how he was treated after the film. I, I think Jar Jar could have been maybe handled a little better and less, less annoying, goofy-like, which he was inspired by. And then, of course, you see in the later films how the Emperor just peer pressures him and manipulates Jar Jar. And unfortunately, Jar Jar his decision-making leads to very dark times, but overall I, I don't mind the Gungan. Yeah. That's the worst of the star Wars fans. That's when it really started rearing its head. They were really mean to Ahmed best. Um, and I was at star Wars celebration Chicago for the 20th anniversary panel of the Phantom Menace. And he came on stage and he got a four and a half minute standing ovation before anybody even said a word. Um, Star Wars fans are really trying to to reach back out to him. And he's finally coming back around. Now, unfortunately, we're going through the same thing with Kelly Marie Tran from The Last Jedi (sighs) and her character Rose. It's Star Wars fans are just the worst. But the way the world's changing right now, I really hope things like that are just a thing of the past. But Ahmed Best, you can check him out. He's the host of Jedi Temple Challenge, which is on the Star Wars YouTube channel. Um, yep. I would assume that this show was was originally supposed to be on Disney Plus, but it's just it's gone straight to YouTube. But he's the host um, of that show. It's kind of a Legends of the Hidden Temple uh, Star Wars edition um, for kids. It's a pretty fun show to watch. But um, I'm with you. I don't hate Jar Jar. He came out at the right time. It's like the Ewoks where in my <laughs> life, a lot of people hated the Ewoks. Uh, and on How I Met Your Mother, Barney Stinson describes it as there's an Ewok line. If you were so young, then you loved them because they remind you of your teddy bear. <laughs> or if you were so old, you hated them because they reminded you of your teddy bear, basically. Um, but I, again, when it came out, I, I, Jar Jar makes me laugh. He is a little bit much. Uh, but my favorite scene uh, of Jar Jar Binks is actually in episode two when Padme is telling him to stay behind. And he says he's moy moy appreciative and he just keeps <laughs> rambling and she's just like, Jar Jar, it's fine. Let's go. Um, but some of the other gripes, minor gripes that I have about the prequels, yeah, sure, none of it, like Dex's diner is a little bit out of place, um, uh, yeah. but Dex as a character cracks me up when he hugs Obi-Wan, he's got his two arms around the top, but then his arms below are pulling up his pants. Yeah. Um, the biggest gripe that I have, and there's nothing that can really be done with it, is George Lucas wanted to show off the special effects that he could do. Just because things look shinier and different, now the sequel trilogy has the best of both worlds. They've got the new technology, but it still looks like the old movies. But George Lucas made these films shiny and new, and the lightsaber fights, say what you will about them. They may be overly choreographed, but they are super, super fun to watch. That lightsaber fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker on Mustafar, um, just the score that accompanies it, just all of it 
that it just works so, so well. And sure, if you're going to complain that it's overly choreographed, I can understand that. Nobody really fights that way. But at the same time, from a visual standpoint, that is movie making. Chef's kiss. I love that type of movie making. I go back and I watch it. Episode one broke ground on a lot of special effects. It lost to The Matrix, which for the Oscar, which I totally understand it losing to The Matrix. But going back and watching that Gungan versus the droids battle is epic in episode one. Episode two, the cruiser going through the city and then the battle in the arena and then the Clone War, the start of the Clone Wars, when there's one shot where you have all the blasters and the dust storm. I think that's some great visual effects. Mm -hmm. And that movie, episode two, I mean, that one lost to the two towers from lord of the rings which understandably lost to that and was nominated against the first spider-man so it had stiff competition and then episode three i'm i'm really upset it didn't even get an oscar nomination for visual effects king kong won that year which i totally appreciate king kong winning i'm actually a fan of the peter jackson king kong but not even to be nominated just the opening scene where you see the two um jedi cruisers flying and you're like oh that's cool that's cool and then they do a little roll over the main ship and you see a huge battle going on epic visual effects and then the battle between obi-wan and anakin while also yoda is battling palpatine those visual effects are beautiful i think it was snubbed i do agree george lucas had it's kind of like when you go to eat somewhere and your eyes are bigger than your stomach. I think George Lucas's imagination was bigger than the technology would allow. I, I do understand the overuse in technology, but I I dig his vision. I liked it. I I know also going back to the lightsaber battles, people say they're overly choreographed. I do eye roll the one scene in episode three where Anakin and Obi-Wan do their little spinny moves. Don't, I love that. I know I'm, you know, yeah, no, I, I it. it, I don't hate it, but I'm just like, what, what's happening right now? <laughs> so I do get that. But at the same time, Oh my God, we had been wanting lightsaber battles for the longest time. And we got it. Episode one, we had the duel of fates, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, Darth Maul, the second one, we had Count Dooku and Yoda battles, plus the Jedis in the arena. And then the third one, like I said, with the two battles going on at the same time, and even the short-lived Mace Windu with the other Jedis confronting Palpatine. The lightsaber actions are, are great. Rest in peace, Kit Fisto. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the, the, like I said, that Anakin and Obi-Wan lightsaber fight was just recently unseated as my favorite all-time lightsaber fight from star Wars, just by Darth Maul and Ahsoka in this final thing of the clone wars, this final arc of the clone wars, the siege of Mandalore. Um, that's my favorite lightsaber battle in all of star Wars, but still in the movies, it's that Obi-Wan and, and Anakin fight. But if you want to, you talked about that opening scene in, in episode three, if you want to expand your star Wars viewing, um, that score that accompanies that opening battle in revenge of the Sith episode three, that exact same score goes along with Ahsoka and arriving on Mandalore 
and it just shows that her story is taking place at the exact same time and just ties those movies. Order 66, it just ties it all just so well if you wanted to continue that story and kind of where these prequels set up just a, a crazy amount of storytelling from Rogue One and Solo, Rebels, Clone Wars, all that different kind of stuff. There's so much more that the prequel set up that even the original trilogy didn't didn't set up. The last thing I do want to mention about the prequels, Mark, is um, if you pay attention in The Mandalorian, uh, the scientist with the client uh, that wants Baby Yoda has a Camino patch on his shoulder. Uh, oh. and then when, and then when, uh, when the Mandalorian comes back and, and takes baby Yoda back, you get a real good view of the patch on his shoulder. And it is the same patch from Camino. We have been told that the child is not a clone himself, but were they trying to clone him or what they were doing? But there's another prequel tie in, uh, right from the Mandalorian. And that's something everybody loves baby Yoda. So, yeah. And for all those people who just maybe need to revisit the prequels, just go and listen to Oscar winning master John Williams. Like the album for Star Wars episode three, Revenge of the Sith is actually my favorite album of the Star Wars movies. If I go, I just want to put on a Star Wars album. That's the one I go to is episode three. It has so many beautiful tracks, check it out. And then I guess the only scruffy looking that I have to go with the prequels is Nerfurter. Don't forget Nerfurter. Nerfurter, my bad. Scruffy looking Nerfurter is that um, the writing. I don't believe the writers knew how to write romance and love stories. I will admit this. I did recently rewatch the first Twilight movie and then I went back. Quarantine. I know. And then I went back and watched the prequels and some of the awkward love scenes just reminded me of the awkward teen angst from the Twilight movies. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for comparing or for having Star Wars and Twilight in the same sentence. Just listen to me what I'm saying. It's just the love dialogue, the awkward flirting. It was just not well written. And I think that's what hurt it. And the actors, Hayden Christensen, I think he gets a bad rap. He's a very talented actor. I think it was just the writing he was given. That revenge scene when he's going to get his mother on Tatooine, I think it's really well acted. Mm-hmm. And then if you can say, well, there's no chemistry. Him and um, Natalie Portman were dating, I think, around the third one at the end of the second one. So the chemistry is there. It's just the the romance writing didn't help out the films or them that well. Yeah, that's the one that's the one downside to having to tell a prequel story is it was easy to tell the story of how Anakin became Darth Vader. It's a lot harder to tell where Luke and Leia came from. They right. they had no choice but to force that love story and I'm the writing it just it just wasn't perfect and that's all summed up with I I hate sand it's coarse it gets everywhere uh but that is my favorite line i did meet somebody at star wars celebration orlando that had hayden christensen actually sign a jar of sand so i don't like sand it's coarse and rough and irritating and it gets everywhere uh shout out to that guy and then i guess i have just another thing with order 6666 execute order 66 when that goes out and then the music changes just as the mood of the movie changes, John Williams 
just so masterful at setting your feeling. Yoda drops his cane as he feels the disturbance in the force. Of course, they try to assassinate Yoda, and he just he takes them right out. You can't sneak up on Yoda. And then we see... And he gets away on Chewbacca. I love that. Uh, and then the youngling, when he looks at Anakin... Master Skywalker, there are too many of them. What are we going to do? And then you just see him fire up his lightsaber, and the kid, like, kind of takes a little stumble back. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. Yeah, he and had then, so much hope in his eyes when Anakin entered the room, and yeah, then it he was thought, gone. He thought they were going to be saved by Anakin, and then at the end there, you have the funeral scene with Padme, and she's holding on to the necklace that little Annie made for her, accompanied by the score. It should give you the goosebumps. And then we also see the introduction of Vader, him getting his suit. And then shout out to the special effects guys, because when Vader takes his first breath and then blows out, you see the smoke in the room move they, with it uh, they cut the music right before that first breath that's my favorite yep. part it gives me chills every single time so the only thing the only thing i wanted to say about order 66 is if yeah. you think commander cody turns on obi-wan kenobi too easily just watch the clone wars it answers all that story it really is an intricate intricate story and in how those clone troopers turn on even their friends that they may call them um, mm -hmm. If you just think that that's too easy storytelling, go watch The Clone Wars and you'll change your mind. Oh, yeah. The Clone Wars, if you need like an expanded explanation on anything with the prequels, go watch The Clone Wars. And even I, I bought You'll the, have to power through season one. But yeah. after that, it just, yeah. I actually own the first two editions of when they did the hand-drawn Clone Wars, the shorts. Mm -hmm. I love those. But also check out the novelization of Revenge of the Sith. It's a really good read. Well, Star Wars fans, that concludes our Star Wars prequel episode of United We Fan the Podcast. Thank you all for uniting with us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as we enjoyed uniting on it. In next week's episode, Brian and I will discuss some of our theme park favorites from Disney and Universal. We both have a lot of experiences and memories with them, so it's going to be a fun episode. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know with a rate or review. For those listeners with any comments or questions, drop us a line so we can reply. Brian, tell our listeners how they can message the show and stay up to date on everything UWF. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram at United We Fan Podcast, or you can shoot us an email at United We Fan Podcast at gmail.com. You never know, you may get your name mentioned in the show. Woo, that's true. We do like to do our fan shout outs. Till we unite again, fans, may the Force be with you, always. You want to buy some death sticks? <laughs> <laughs>